Welcome to After the JAG Corps, Navigating Your Career Progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the JAG Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. Most of my podcasts to date have focused on the career progression of judge advocates who are discerning their next adventure after 20 or more years of wearing our nation's cloth. In launching this podcast, my main focus was on filling a perceived gap when it comes to helping these judge advocates transition to a second career. However, and although their circumstances are different, I also recognize that the experience of lawyers who decided not to remain on active duty could also be helpful. Today, we will hear from one of those individuals who decided not to continue in the Judge Advocate General's Corps. In July 2021, I sat down with Ben Whitehouse, who served in the Navy JAG Corps for five years, from 2002 to 2007. Here is our conversation. My guest today is Ben Whitehouse, another former Navy JAG, spent five years in the JAG Corps. Ben, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here, Tom. Like we always do, give us a quick recap of your career. Sure. Went to uh, law school at the uh, University of Tennessee College of Law, graduated in 2002, went to OIS later that fall, and then started at Naval Justice School in January of 2003. After that, my first duty station was NAS JRB Fort Worth. I certainly don't know how things are organized now, but at the time we had a small Nilso branch office there in Fort Worth. There were there were three of us attorneys there and a legalman and a civilian who I understand has, has just recently retired. We were attached to the Pensacola Nilso. From there, I think from 2003 to 2004, by the end of 2004, I was able to get some orders to my favorite duty station in Yokosuka. Was uh, the at the TSO there doing prosecution work primarily was there for a couple of years. And in fact, I think my last day was the first day they collapsed the TSO structure and stood up the the RILSO concept. And I believe if deep dark memory serves me correctly, that's when we were a, a TSO branch of Hawaii TSO. And then the RILSO stood up as uh, its own unit with a local commanding officer. From there, I transferred to Norfolk on board the USS Theodore Roosevelt as the uh, legal officer on board the TR, and then put in my separation paperwork and went over to the Naval Safety Center. And so my final three months in the Navy was over at the Naval Safety Center. There was a two-star there that I worked for and then separated. From there, I became an assistant attorney general at the Tennessee Attorney General's Office from 2007 to around 2013, it was at the Tennessee Attorney General's office, was hired to primarily do criminal prosecutions work based on my experience in the Navy, ended up doing a lot more civil defense work of law enforcement agencies in Tennessee, had worked with, incidentally, a a number of folks at our state Department of Commerce and Insurance because they handled actually a lot of criminal justice work with regulating uh, peace officers and law enforcement officers, developed a good reputation and good rapport with that office, and went a completely odd direction 
they had a position open, was able to take advantage of that and start out as an insurance regulatory attorney. So did a, a complete pivot of my career and started out at the Tennessee Insurance Department learning the ropes of insurance regulation. That was an area called captive insurance, which is what I do now. Of all this time in government, I had spent a lot of time being a government lawyer, and I was very interested in potentially branching out, potentially starting my own practice, but at that point had 10 years uh, worth of government experience and the thought of hanging out my own shingle, trying to figure out how to go and get cases was a little bit overwhelming. And the job that enticed me to go over to the state insurance department was this area of captives. Captive insurance company, let me explain this because I don't want to put everybody to sleep. Incidentally, I tell people, you know, I used to live on an aircraft carrier and prosecute people in the Navy, and I, I was really fun at parties because I had lots of great stories. But then I became an insurance regulator and completely could, you know, kill a party at the drop of a hat. What enticed me was what we do in captive insurance is there's specialized uh, insurance programs. It's a type of self-insurance, and you can actually form them anywhere. And so what it turned out was that Tennessee wanted companies to form these specialized insurance vehicles here in our state. Well, Delaware wanted the same thing. Vermont wanted the same thing. And I had to develop a customer focus. And what we tell people is if you, you know, have a bad experience, for example, trying to get a driver's license, and that is frustrating, and you, you know, have a long line, and the people behind the counter are surly and difficult to deal with, Unlike in the Navy, I can't call my counterpart in their command and uh, use that personal connection, nor can I get in my car and drive to Kentucky or go somewhere else. I have to suck it up and stay in line. Well, what we did with this type of program, our customers, if you will, the people that we were wanting to entice to come to our state, very much could do that. They could go to Kentucky. They could go to Vermont. They could go to another state. And so we were actually able to hire a great group of analysts and financial professionals to help us regulate this program. I had to be fairly creative and on my toes and provide a good customer service to the people that were wanting to uh, you know, form these type of specialized captive units, or they would go to somewhere else. We were able to grow that when I joined uh, the captive section in Tennessee in 2013. We had just gotten started grew that for another five or six years to the point where the business outside the need for private practice attorneys that knew the ins and outs of insurance regulation and captive insurance regulation was so great that I was able to then go to one of the leading uh, law firms in my city, Butler Snow, and uh, work out a business plan. I was able to do kind of what I had been wanting to do almost since the time I, I got out of the Navy, which was go into private practice, serve clients, continue to do good work and be able to, to make a living doing that. That's essentially what I'm doing now. I've been at Butler Snow for about two and a half years, really enjoying it. Been kind of a, a unique journey. I don't think anyone could plot out the path that I've gone. I certainly wouldn't do it intentionally, but it's been an amazing journey so far. Well, let's go back to the decision to leave the Navy. Four years and some change at that point. You put in your letter. How long between putting in your letter to you were released from active duty? I've been talking about it for a while. This is so long ago, I cannot remember mm -hmm. the rules, but it, my understanding, at least at the time, was that you have to give a full year or two years. If you accepted follow-on orders, you were pretty much obligated for at least a year. Yeah. Uh, or I think at the time, it was you were obligated for two years after accepting follow-on orders. 
The exception to that is if you were coming in from overseas, you only had to give a year. I think you're right. I think it's still that way. So I was torn, had had always wanted to explore, had thought about the long-term options of staying on active duty, but that was frankly, one of the things that interested me in going overseas, one, I absolutely, I joined the Navy to have an opportunity to live overseas and happily took the orders to Japan when they became available. But in the back of my mind, that was part of my exit strategy, if you will, was I can take these orders to Japan and I don't have necessarily an exceptionally long runway to get out if that's ultimately what I decide to do. I guess the two things I really wanted to do was to go overseas and then serve on board a ship. And in fact, I had cut my Japan tour a few months early, at least from my standard two-year tour when, when the orders in the TR came available. Took that and, and ultimately when I got back to the TR, I decided that this was probably the appropriate time to move on. I love the Navy, love the opportunities that I had, but I was frankly ready to move back to Nashville where I was from and potentially start a family, which I ultimately did a couple of years after I got out of the Navy. And it worked out, I think, for me the best. And I'm glad I was able to serve. And I think it was the appropriate decision to get out. But it was not easy by any stretch. At the time, I remember telling people it was kind of like unsubscribing from an online service or trying to cancel a service. As everyone you talk to, it's kind of like, well, you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, you always have these opportunities to kind of second guess or you get invited to second guess whether or not you want to withdraw that letter or not. Describe the process of getting on with the Office of the Attorney General in the state of Tennessee, because you're, you're obviously in Norfolk, the Navy Safety Center. How did you get back to Tennessee? Take us through the interview process. Take us through the job search process. Well, that was a fairly stressful time because I certainly did not have a job in hand, and I don't think you really can have a job in hand. I had an interest in moving back to Tennessee, but that was by no means the only option. I applied for uh, a number of federal civilian jobs. At the time, it was a pretty difficult gauntlet to get those going on USA jobs. Again, it's been a while since I've gone through that process. But the lead time between applying for those jobs and running through the interview process and potentially getting selected, and I know it seems like they have like a thousand applicants for every position, at least that's what it seemed like at the time. I believe I interviewed with Immigration and Customs Enforcement, interviewed with several different U.S. attorney's offices, I believe one in Indiana, one in several in Tennessee. And I had done a internship at the AG's office when I was in law school, my, between my first and second year of law school. And so I had a connection there and knew the folks there and was able to informally reach out to colleagues that I knew from that internship and express an interest. But, you know, certainly had to interview and go through that process, ended up uh, coming back and visiting and doing some online interviews or phone interviews, an in-person interview when I happened to arrange uh, leave to come back to Nashville. And I, I can't remember the timeline on when I got the job, but it was, I think, two or three months before my final exit, uh, by my final separation date. I had something in hand. During that time, this would have been, again, fall of 2007, right about that time, the big financial crisis of 2007 and 2008 was really ramping up. And so I felt very lucky to have anything because I think around that time, I talked with the career office at my law school. And they were telling me horror stories about job offers for summer associates and recent graduates were being pulled. And essentially it was take whatever you can get and kind of go from there. So it was uh, it was not an easy time, but I had already put in my paperwork, had already committed leaving. And it turned out to be a great job at the AG's office and uh, made a lot of close contacts and 
was able to use what I had learned in litigation to do that for the state. So that's what I was going to hit on that looking at your LinkedIn profile. So you had some defense counsel time down there in Texas, probably did some courts, but also did administrative hearings. So you prosecuted 75 courts as trial counsel in Japan. But even then, you're still talking about three years, maybe four, just about before you got to the attorney general's office. What were the uh, experiences in the, in the Navy JAG Corps that you felt aided you? You had you used the network, but you also had, had the experience. What do you think in your Navy background appealed to them to bring you on board? Let me contrast that for a second. In my present job with my firm, we have new associates that come in. And there is a detailed and comprehensive training program and a orientation program that new associates at a law firm take advantage of. And that's a process to get someone to be from a law student to a lawyer that can build time. Government doesn't really have, especially civilian, state level, does not have a comprehensive training program. They expect lawyers to be able to function on day one. And so I think the fact that I had functioned in government before, that I had government experience, that I had trial experience. The most attractive thing for them was that I could be handed a stack of cases and they could say, make these disappear, take care of these, make recommendations, run with it. And certainly that's what I had done in the Navy. And that's what I, the expectations that I had been given in the Navy was to work the cases and, and, and take care of them. And so I was able to do that without, you know, having to do the baby lawyer steps of, you know, the nerves. I'd already had the butterflies of, the, you know, the first contested uh, jury trial, the first contested court martial with members. Gone through that process, I had definitely experienced a hot bench of, you know, having a judge throwing lightning bolts down from on high. Uh, hello, Judge Maxim. Hope you're doing well. Great, great respect for your uh, for John Maxim and. Uh, That's Father Maxim now, by the way. Yes, yes, Father Maxim was uh, very much a mentor. I know he has mentored a lot of Jags over the years and is now mentoring a lot of people in a far different capacity. Walking into a small town courtroom in Tennessee and you know, when you're a big city lawyer from the big city AG's office, there's a country colloquial term called home cooking and you definitely don't get it when you're, uh, when you're in that environment. You're not a part of the local community. Had experience dealing with a hostile bench having to think on your feet and represent the people and represent the government in that kind of environment. And I didn't need the close level of supervision that they might have to have for someone who came out of law school or frankly had perhaps left along in private practice or at a small firm that did not have real substantive legal experience uh, coming forward. If you had yourself come to you now, so somebody like yourself who has spent about four or five years in the Navy and they've decided to go out, and they came to you for mentoring, what would your advice be for them? Because as you know, like you said before, you pull that ejection handle, nine times out of 10, you don't have a job because it's it's too long of a process. You six months if you're leaving at your projected rotation date, nine to 12 if you're not. What would you tell somebody who's decided that they don't want to continue on the Navy? What would you tell them uh, going into that search process? To have faith in yourself that you do have valuable skills and experience that are in demand in the private sector. It will take a network and utilizing the contacts that you've developed, perhaps in law school, family connections, other resources. Most law school career services office will continue to provide services to graduates, especially if you're looking to practice. But if nothing else, especially if you are looking 
either to go directly into private practice or want a pathway to get into private practice. It is available. And there are things that you have learned that are going to be attractive. The challenging part is articulating those in a way that a private employer perhaps can understand. And it is not always an easy or a direct, if you if you pull a job offer and somebody or a, a a position announcement and somebody's wanting three to five years worth of civil trial tort experience. How are things similar to what you might have experienced in an administrative discharge board or doing courts martial versus what it takes to get a insurance defense or plaintiff's work civil trial to a jury? Perhaps reaching out to your contacts, former classmates and colleagues that are doing the similar work uh, that you're doing that you would look to be doing would be very helpful to essentially sell yourself. But if nothing else, recognizing that when you're in the Navy, of course, you, you are in a very closed environment and a closed world. And there are a lot of great benefits and a lot of great opportunities. But there are some great opportunities on the outside. It's just sometimes very difficult to see what those are. Do not be afraid to explore those because you know, I certainly did not and could not have envisioned the path that led me to where I am right now. The thing that I valued the most, the, the duty stations I enjoyed the most, the people that I enjoyed with the most, enjoyed working with the most, were smart, competent professionals. I'm talking about you know trial and defense counsel, because generally, if you're in one location, you're going to be working with a small set of uh, JAGs on both sides. And I truly valued the collegial environment that I especially got to enjoy in in Japan. If you will forgive me for dropping names, my colleague Chris Fon, Stella Lane. Will Wyland, who I, I believe is is still on, if I follow him a little bit on active duty. We mentioned Judge, now Father Maxson, Steve Barney, and I'm missing out a lot of names, uh, Kim Kelly. These are amazing people to work with. I absolutely love working with them. Russell Lanuti, I'm going to keep naming because they're, they're great folks. When I got out, what that taught me, if nothing else, was the thing, I don't care as much about exactly the type of law I'm practicing. I was trying to find a group of future colleagues that in some way replicated the close-knit collegial atmosphere of what I had in my favorite duty station. And that is, even within the AG's office, I had some choice as far as the division or which particular office within the AG's office, because we had you know, 15 or 20 different divisions doing entirely different work. That was what I took away, you know, experiencing what I had, even in five years, three different duty stations, being able to have a variety of those experiences to find out who are the kind of people I want to work with? What is what is the ethos and the attitude? And then when I made the, the, the jump from, from government entirely into the private sector, that was far more important because it's one thing in a government environment where you know, at the end of the day, the paycheck is going to continue to come as long as you, you know, earn the right to continue to keep your job to an environment where you have to go out and bill, you have to go out and get clients, you have to go and keep clients, and you have to work with the colleagues that you're doing. It can be a very cutthroat environment in the wrong firm with the wrong environment. But if you have a good understanding of knowing the type of people that you want to work with and the, the not the, the practice of law type of work, but the type of environment you believe you can thrive in, that is going to put you far uh, in far better stead than some other random attorney who hasn't had the breadth of experience that you get in just a few years in the Navy. So I'm assuming that when you made the move to the Department of Commerce and Insurance, that it was primarily your reputation in the uh, 
the things you had achieved at the Office of the Attorney General that enabled you to get that job. Is that a fair assessment or did your Navy time play into that as well? I think the thing that impressed upon them and that they told me later that they valued was my Navy experience in that that same thing, that ability to, you know, they they assigned me something. I had absolutely no experience in regulating insurance companies. It's it's fairly technical. It's very much a niche area of the law on even regulating large insurance companies, regulating these specialized self-insurance vehicles. If there are a hundred attorneys in America that do what I do, that's probably a lot. There's probably closer to 25 or 30. They appreciated the fact that I had experience in the past being handed, you know, completely different assignments, completely out of the blue, you know, new positions in, in different duty stations and had developed a track record of learning the material quickly and running with it and making, taking it on my own. We all have law backgrounds. We can learn the law. It's that leadership and the diversity of experience that really we have that a lot of our, our non-JAG Corps colleagues don't have. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Whitehouse, five-year Navy vet and diversity experience in Tennessee, both the Attorney General's Office, Department of Commerce, and then now in private practice. Ben, thank you for your time and I really, really appreciate your experience and passing it on to those that come behind you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.